Continuing our study in 1 Samuel, looking at the life of David, a lion was walking through the jungle, and upon every animal that he encountered, he would roar and ask this question, who's the king of the jungle? He came upon a bear, roared, asked that question, and the bear responded and said, well, of course, you're the king of the jungle. Came upon a zebra and roared and asked the question, received the same response. Came upon a tiger, roared, asked the question, and the tiger's response was, of course, everybody knows that you're the king of the jungle. But then he came upon an elephant where he roared, he asked the question, and the elephant grabbed the lion by, the, by his trunk or with his trunk and, and flung him through the air and up against a tree. And then he went and grabbed him by uh, the elephant with his trunk by the tail and he banged the, the lion on the ground, you know, three or four times. And then he sat on him and, and, uh, and then he got up and the lion said, man, just because you didn't know the answer, you don't have to get mean about it. <laughs> Do you consider yourself to be a leader? How about a person of influence? You know, a true leader doesn't need to announce it to everyone. He doesn't need to go around and roar that he's the king of the jungle. He's the king of the home. But you know, whether we like it or not, all of us are called at times to lead someone. Those of you who are husbands are called to be leaders for your wife and for your kids. Moms are called to take the lead or take a a lead in, in being involved in the training of their children. In a dating or courting relationship, a man is the man is called to be the spiritual leader. Those of us who are older and more mature Christians are called to be leaders to the younger by our testimony and our example. Some of you are in positions of leadership where you work. Some of you are in positions of leadership in ministry. We all have our times when we are called upon to lead. Now, for some of us, it's, that can be a stretch. It can be awkward. It can be a very difficult thing. For others, it's natural. You're comfortable in that arena. It's very enjoyable for you. But whatever the category that you find yourself in today... In our text, we see in David a very important ingredient of a good leader. Notice here, chapter 23, we read, Then David, or then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? And then David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, arise and go to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. Let's pause there for a minute. Now, we saw in our study last time that David had escaped from Gath, the world, and he went to the cave of Adullam, and it was there in that cave of Adullam that God met David's needs. That the very things that he was looking for in the world, there in Gath, that of companionship and friendship and refuge, he found it here in this cave that God led him to as God brought his family to him. And then he brought these 400 men 
Now, they weren't the best group of guys to start off with. They were in distress, and they were discontent, and they were in debt, but they would become David's companions. God would use David to turn them into mighty men of God, and it's from there that God directs David to go to the area of Judah. Now, this was a little bit more of a dangerous place that God was leading uh, David to than being there in that area of the cave of Adullam. But it was, there was a purpose that God had for David in being here in this area. You see, when David was hiding out there in the cave of Adullam, he was safe. But he couldn't be reached to be any type of help for God's people when they were in need because he was kind of distant being there in the cave of Adullam. So God, uh, so one of the reasons why God called David out of that stronghold and into this place of greater danger, dwelling there in the land of, of, of Judah because, was because God wanted to make him available. God wanted to make him available to the people so that he could serve and bless God's people more effectively. And God will do that in our lives sometimes as well. He will take us out of our, call us out of our comfort zones, out of the areas where it's comfortable for us. It's a place maybe of safety, and he'll bring us into a place where we have to be a little bit more vulnerable because he wants to use us in other people's lives. And so David leaves the cave. He comes down there into the area of Judah. He's much more available now, and he gets word that the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. So the need here is presented to David and watch what he does. Because see, here we're in this, we're given some insight into what made David such a great leader at this particular time in his life. And this is a lesson for all of us here who are involved in ministry, for everyone here who has a position of leadership at your work where you are over people, for every husband who is called to lead his family. For every mother who has the responsibility of being involved in the training of her children. For every man who's involved in courting a woman. And for every mature believer who is discipling or has an influence on the lives of younger believers. What's the radical thing that we see that David does here? It's found in the second verse. Where we simply read that David inquired of the Lord. To put it simply, David prayed about it. He went to the Lord in prayer. Now, this tells us several things about David's leadership. Number one, this shows David's wisdom and his godliness. You see, some might have immediately said, hey, this isn't my responsibility. This is Saul's. Let him deal with it. I'm not going down there. Others might have immediately said, hey, let's go. I can fix this problem. Get out of my way. Let's do it. But either one of those courses would have been foolish. But David was wise. David showed his godliness because he sought the Lord. He went to the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. And the mark of David's great leadership is that David was a man of prayer. David was a man who was interested in God's will and God's way. He wanted and sought after God's direction. And this was a mark of his wisdom and the godliness that that possessed his life. The second thing that we see here about David is that when he inquired of the Lord, he was willing to do just as the Lord commanded him. You know, sometimes we inquire of the Lord, but our minds are already made up. Our inquiring of the Lord is really a token formality so that we can say, well, I prayed about it. 
But in reality, we've already made up our minds. We know what we're going to do. We know the direction that we want to go in. But that really isn't inquiring of the Lord at all. Maybe you can relate to this. Lloyd Ogilvie wrote this in one of his books. Even though we pray about our challenges and problems, all too often what we really want is strength to accomplish what we've already decided is best for ourselves. Meanwhile, we press on with our own priorities and plans. We remain the scriptwriter, the casting director, the choreographer, and the producer of the drama of our own lives in which we are the star performer. Does that describe you? That when you go to God, it's not really for direction, it's just for strength. It's just to help you accomplish what you've already decided in your own mind and in your own heart is the direction that you need to go in. Listen, true inquiring of the Lord is when we come ready and expecting to listen to him and willing to do whatever the Lord tells us to do. And this is an essential trait for anyone who is called to be a leader over people in any capacity whatsoever. Listen, if you are a leader in ministry, if you are a boss where you are employed, If you are a husband, if you are a parent who makes his or her habit that of inquiring of the Lord concerning the decisions that you are going to make, it shows, first of all, that you are a person who wants to be submitted to the Lord. That you're a person who wants to walk in submission to the Lord. The very practice of truly seeking the Lord acknowledges that I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. That I don't want to be the one who calls the shots. That I don't want to lean upon my own ingenuity and my own intellect. John Powell, in his book, Prayer as Surrender, said this. I have a sign on the mirror of my room. I see it every morning in my groggy condition when I wake up. It simply reads, what have you got going today, God? I'd like to be a part of it. Thanks for loving me. You know, that's a good attitude to have. God, what do you have going on? I want to be a part of it. I want you to use me. I want to be in your plan. You see, it's a good thing because a person who is in submission to Christ is seeking to find their place in his plans rather than making their own plans and asking God to support them. A church uh, leadership group would often pray in this way, Lord, help us to do what you are blessing rather than asking you to bless what we are doing. Help us, Lord, to be doing those things that you're blessing, going in that direction where where we see that you are already moving. And the way that that happens is by regularly inquiring of the Lord. And God encourages us to do that. In James chapter one, verse five, the Lord says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of me. And I give to all freely and without approach those who come and ask wisdom of me. So prayer speaks, first of all, of submission. Secondly, it speaks of a desire that we have to be dependent upon the Lord. It's telling the Lord that I know that through him I can do all things. But without him, I know also that I can't do anything. It's acknowledging that I don't want to move to the right or to the left, that I don't want to go forward or backward until I know that he is leading Dependency is acknowledging to the Lord that I know that I am a follower long before I am a leader and he is the one that I am following. A.W. Tozer, that great preacher of old, said, The reason why many are still troubled and the reason why many believers are still seeking and, and, and making little forward progress in their walks with the Lord is because they have yet to come to the end of themselves. That's true. 
Sometimes the reason why, you know, we, we struggle along is because we haven't come to the end of ourselves. We're not dependent upon the Lord. We're still trying to live our lives and plot our plan and move in our direction in our own strength, in our own ingenuity. But the mark of dependency is seen by the fact that we are actively and constantly seeking after God. It's marked by the fact that we have a prayer life. That we are men, that we are women like David who are inquiring of the Lord. Listen, if you are in a position at work or in a position of ministry to be a leader over people, The people who are working with you, the people who are working for you will respect you. The more that they know and see that you are inclined to be a man or woman of prayer. The people who are working with you will be more inclined to follow your leadership when they see that you are one who is seeking to get your direction from the Lord. Husbands, your wife and family will respect you and more gladly submit to you if they have the confidence that you are seeking after God. If they have that confidence that that they know that you are a man of prayer and the decisions that you are making concerning your family and your finances are born out of the times that you are spending before the Lord in prayer. Mothers, your kids will listen to what you are teaching them and training them far more attentively if they know that you are seeking your direction from the Lord, that Jesus is the Lord in your life, that He is the center, and they see that modeled by the way that you pray about your decisions. And so this was one of the things that made David such a great leader was who was respected by those who were following after him is that David inquired of the Lord. And it was apparent It was apparent to all of them that David wanted to be led by God. And so David inquires of the Lord and God says to David, go, go down and rescue Keilah. But notice what happens next. In verse three, it says that David's men responded by being hesitant. They were fearful. They're like, I don't know if we should really go down. You you know, we're we're kind of in, you know, we're not real safe right now in Judah. What's it going to be like when we go and attack the Philistines? I don't know about this, David. What would you do in that situation? As an employer, how do you respond when you are questioned on a decision? Is it, look, you're either in or you're out. It's either my way or the highway. What's it going to be? Or are you humble enough to consider that you might be wrong? Are you humble enough to look at a situation when you are questioned? What about husbands? What do you say when your wife questions you on a decision? Woman, you're called to submit. That's what the Bible says. Is it, it's either my way or the highway, you know? That's a great way to make a bitter enemy of your wife. Maybe like David, you've sought the Lord. You feel that God has spoke to you. He's given you confirmation. You tell your wife of your decision and she's apprehensive though. She's concerned. She's, it's not selling well for her for some reason. And she questions if you're really hearing from the Lord. Now, your pride can be potentially wounded here in this. I mean, you know, you can find yourself going, she's questioning my relationship with God. What do you do, guys? Do you chide her? Do you condemn her saying that she's lacking faith, being silly? That she's quenching the spirit, that she's fighting against God. 
How do you respond in that situation? You know, David could have done all of those things with his men. He could have sought to ramrod this thing through. He could have said, look, we're going forward, period. You're either with me or you're not. It's my way or the highway. He could have done that. He could have went spiritual on them. He could have said, you know, you guys are such spiritual wimps. You're lacking faith. What's wrong with you? He could have done that. But David didn't do any such thing. And this is the second trait that we see in David that made him such a great leader is David. And it's connected to his prayer life. He was a humble man. He was a man of humility. And you see, the reason why that trait is connected to your prayer life is because the person who is regularly in the presence of God is going to be one who doesn't have a real high opinion of himself because as he sees the Lord, he's going to see himself in light of the Lord, which means he's going to see himself as he really is. And he's going to be like Isaiah who said, as he saw the Lord sitting upon his throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and the angels were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. What did Isaiah say? He didn't say, man, I am really a great guy. Look at this vision I had of God. No, he said, man, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm in trouble. I'm a sinner. And it was that very mark of humility that caused David when he was questioned by his leaders, not to try to ramrod it through, but in his humility, he, he thought, well, maybe I am wrong. And what does he do? He went and he inquired of the Lord again. And his men respected him for that and responded to him because of it. And the same holds true in our life. Listen, the people in your life that you are called to lead will do the same when they see that trait in you. Guys, listen. Wives love to follow a man that they know is seeking after the Lord. They love to follow a man that they know is getting his direction from God. Now, sometimes, though, this can test people's patience. I tell our guys here on staff that don't expect me to make a lot of spur of the moment decisions because I like to pray about everything. And so I tell them and sometimes, you know, this is harder for them. They have to be more organized. They have to be a little bit more prepared when they bring things to me. They need to get it to me sooner so I can have the time to pray about it and not just, you know, making a decision like that. So sometimes it can test people's patience. Other people, they have a tendency, they can really struggle with this type of thing. I was once asked to, to speak at a large and popular place here in, of ministry here in Southern California. And I was honored that they asked me to, to speak there. But I said to the guy who called me, who was heading up this ministry, I, I said, you know, can I have a couple days to, to pray about it? So I can really, you know, make sure this is something that God wants me to do. I'd like to do it, but I need to, to I, want, I want to know the Lord wants me to do it. And, and they were offended by that. He was like, why wouldn't God want you to come and, and speak here? And I just said, you know, I've been in situations where I thought it was great. I thought, you know, this would be a wonderful thing. And, and I went to go do it and God stayed home. And, and, and I don't like that, you know. <laughs> I don't want to do that type of thing again. And, and needless to say, they, they never ended up calling back. I mean, they were just like, you know, forget him because I wanted to pray. <laughs> it's crazy. But some people, they're that way. It's like, pray? I mean, come on. You know, that's what we do when we're in trouble. But we see in David here that he made prayer and seeking God's direction a regular part of his life. And his men respected his prayer life. 
And so he came back a second time and they respected his decision as he sought the Lord. And this time God gives a promise with the direction as he said, arise, go down to Keilah and I will. Here's the promise. Deliver the Philistines into your hand. The promise was intended to give David, both David and his men, more and more confidence in God and in his command. The promise was to give them a confidence that God was with them, that God was going, that he was for them, that God was moving them. And this is a lesson for all of us to know this, that God likes to confirm his will to our lives. And in that confirmation is a confidence that he gives us because he wants us to walk in confidence. And I encourage you to make it your habit to be those to seek after the Lord in such a way that you want to receive that confirmation for him so that you can have that confidence in the things that he's leading you. And you, he'll, he'll answer. It might take some time, but he will speak to you. He will give you that confirmation. When we left here uh, the, in 1991 to move to Oregon to start a church, we had specific confirmation from God through the word, through various circumstances that this was his will for us. When we came back here in 1996 to to pastor the church here, again, we had specific confirmation from the Lord that he was calling us to do this, to make this step and to come back down this way. Now, the reason why that confirmation was so important was because in both situations, we encountered obstacles, challenges and struggles and troubles. In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. And we encountered some very difficult things in both of the situations that if I hadn't had that confirmation, I might have been more inclined to to, to go, maybe this was a a mistake. Maybe this wasn't God. Maybe this really wasn't the Lord. But because I knew um, it was just a fact that God was leading and directing, I was able to say, okay, I don't understand what's going on, but I know it's all part of the process of what God is seeking to do do to, you know, grow us more in him, to make us the men and women of God that he wants us to be. And so that confirmation that God desires to give to us is so crucial. And so David receives uh, uh, the word again, and this time with a promise, a confirmation. And he goes and notice it says in verse five, and David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. And so David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. He goes down and in confidence, he does battle against the Philistines and God gives him a great victory. But notice what happens next. Verse six. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with the ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. And so Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. And when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. And then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down? As your servant has heard, O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. And then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. 
Here again, we see David practicing this this habit of prayer. The situation comes where where he hears Saul knows where you're at. He's coming down with all of his men. And what does David do? Does he run? Does he flee? Does he gather the troops together and say, you know, come on, we're going to fight? You know, he, he no, he inquires of the Lord. He goes to the Lord again in prayer. Lord, is Saul going to come down? Is he really going to do this? And are the men going to deliver me into his hand. Now, this is interesting. The very people that David rescues are turning their back on him. The very people that David rescues are rejecting him. Now, that can happen in our lives. Some of you have experienced this with your teenage children. You give, you reach out, you've poured into them only to have them reject you. Ministry can be this way sometimes. You give and give of yourself to help someone to bring healing you know, to a family or maybe to a marriage. And then those people whom you've helped, they turn on you. They reject you. They find some reason to get upset with you. People can be fickle. Listen to what Paul wrote. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15, Paul said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Now, he's saying that I'm going to give of my, I'm going to spend, I'm going to give of my resources, my time and my energy for you. And I'm going to be spent. I'm going to have, ask God to just pour me out as an offering for you that I'll just be spent. And then he says this, though the more abundantly I love you, the less that I am loved. Paul says, I'm giving, I'm spending, I'm being spent. But the more that I love, the less that I'm loved in return. Now, why is that? Well, sometimes in loving, you have to do the right thing. Sometimes in loving, doing the right thing means that you have to tell the truth and speak the truth. And sometimes in speaking the truth, it hurts. And people get upset. And they don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear what you have to say. They don't want to hear those words of of truth as you're confronting them about a situation. And so as you are seeking to do that and you are being loving... The more that you love, the less that you are being loved. It comes with the territory. And so David here is rejected by the very people that earlier he had come to save, that he had come to help. Now, notice what happens here. Verse 13. So David and his men, about 600, he's grown by 200 now, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could. And then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah. And so he halted the expedition. And David stayed in the stronghold in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. And then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hands in God. And he said to him, do not fear For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you, and you shall be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And even my father, Saul, knows that. And so the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. Now picture David at this point. Picture how discouraged he must have been after he was rejected 
after doing the right thing once again. I mean, this is the pattern that you keep seeing in David's life. He does the right thing. He's helping Saul and Saul's throwing spears at him. He goes down and he saves Keilah and the people turn against him. They reject him. Just think about how discouraged he must have been. And now he finds himself in this mountainous region of the wilderness of Ziph. It was a very difficult place to be. The terrain was varied. It was more difficult. And Saul has resorted to seeking David continually. We're told there in the text that Saul was seeking after him every single day. I mean, Saul basically put his running of the kingdom aside and said, you know, what I'm going to do the rest of my days is I'm going to find and fight and and I'm going to look for David. I want to destroy and kill David. And so Saul's coming after him. But notice what God does. Notice who God sends to strengthen David in this difficult time. Saul couldn't find him, but God allows Jonathan to find David. And notice it says that Jonathan strengthened David's hands in the Lord. What does that mean? To strengthen somebody's hands in the Lord. Well, that word, that phrase, it means to fasten upon, to seize, to make strong, to repair, to fortify, and to make valiant. Now, that's what Jonathan did for David. He helped his friend in this low time become stronger, become more fortified, to become repaired, to become strengthened in his relationship with the Lord. He strengthened David's hands. Now consider what those hands of David were used for. They were used to do work for the Lord. They were used to fight for the Lord. They were used to write beautiful psalms for the Lord. They were used to play the harp in praise to the Lord. They were used to lift and and worship to the Lord. And after Jonathan's visit, David was able to do those things again. He had come, and like Paul wrote in one of his epistles, to strengthen the feeble hands that hang down. That's what Jonathan came and did for David. He strengthened his hands. In the Lord, he was able to fight. He was able to praise. He was able to work. Notice how Jonathan strengthened David's hands in the Lord. There's three things I want you to note here and then we'll be done. First of all, he reminded David of the Lord's presence with him. He comes to David and he says, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father shall not find you. He reminds David of God's presence, that because God was with him, Saul was not going to find him, that David could reject fear because God would ultimately protect him. Saul, my father, isn't going to find you. Jonathan was reminding David that one with God is a majority. And we are told in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, for the Lord himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? He came and he strengthened him by reminding him of God's presence with him. And one of the greatest things that we can do to strengthen our brothers and sisters in difficult times is to remind them of the Lord's presence with them. One of my favorite writers, J. Oswald Sanders, says that peace is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of God. 
In this world, we're going to have trouble. In this world, we're going to have difficulty. Peace is not the absence of those things, but peace is the presence of God. It's like the, uh, the apostles in the early church when the persecution was coming down upon them. They didn't pray, God, take the persecution away. What did they pray? Lord, give us boldness to stand. Let us know that your presence is with us in the midst of this persecution. Listen to what Paul wrote in Acts chapter 18. I'll read it to you. He goes down to Corinth and like his normal uh, mode of operation, he goes into the synagogue. He's preaching to the Jews. The Jews reject him. Paul's thinking to himself, here we go again. I'm going to go from the synagogue into prison. I'm going to be beaten. I mean, this has happened in city after city after city. And that night it says the Lord appeared to Paul in a vision and said, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent for I am with you. And no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. The result of that, God comes to Paul and he says, look, don't be afraid, but you speak. Speak with boldness because I'm with you, Paul. I haven't deserted you. I am with you and I have many people in this city. Many people who are going to be affected by your testimony. And the result of that, it says, and he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. The result of Paul getting this confirmation, this affirmation of God's presence with him is that he stayed in Corinth longer than any other city that he ever went to, aside from Ephesus, where he stayed three years. He stays in Corinth preaching and ministering a year and a half because God gave him that word of don't be afraid, I'm with you. And one of the greatest things that we can do with people who are struggling and going through difficult times is to remind them of the presence of God in their life. Think of it in this way. You know, a lot of times, most of us who are parents, we've we've encountered this. In the midst of a storm, where there's lightning or thunder or wind or, 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 you know, heavy rain, we've had our kids come running into our bedroom and say, Mom, Dad, can I sleep with you guys tonight? I'm afraid. And they're not asking that we take the storm away, but they just want to be next to us. They want to be in our presence because it brings to them a sense of safety. Well, the same thing is true for us. In the midst of the difficult times when we understand, when we know God's presence is with us, that there we find our safety, that it brings rest for us in the midst of the storm. Someone said this, none of us can face the past Unless we know that we are forgiven by the grace of God. None of us can face the present unless we know that we are strengthened by the presence of God. And none of us can face the future unless we are certain of the love of God. And Jonathan comes to David and first of all strengthens David's hands in the Lord by reminding him of the presence and the love of God. The second thing that Jonathan did was to remind David of the promise of God to him. He says, notice, you shall be king over Israel. He comes and he reminds him of the promise that God had earlier made to David. You are going to be the king. This is a fact. It's a promise from the Lord. And we are called to be promise believers. But sometimes in the midst of our situation, the devil tries to get us to forget the promises of God. He tries to get us to doubt the promises of God. And it's in those times especially that we need to be reminded that our Lord is a God who keeps his promises. You know, sometimes in a political 
campaign where a candidate is is running for re-election, he might make a statement like this, that I can stand upon my record. Well, our faith stands on the record of what God has done. Our faith stands on the record of the promises of God. In John 20, verse 31, we're told that these are written that you may believe. That faith is is not inherited. It doesn't come by accident. But the Bible says that faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And discovering that God keeps his promises. Faith is standing on the promises of God. In the children's books written by C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. In the second book, The Prince Caspian, Lucy enters Narnia again. She hasn't been there for a while. She hasn't seen Aslan, the lion who represents Christ, and she hasn't seen him in a long time. And they have this wonderful reunion. And Lucy says to Aslan, he, he says, Aslan, you're bigger now, she says. And Aslan says, Lucy, that's because you are older. You see, Lucy, every year that you grow, you will find me bigger. The same thing holds true for us as we walk with the Lord. That the more we walk with him, the more that we grow in our relationship with him, we find him bigger in his grace and in his goodness. We find him bigger in his faithfulness. We find him bigger in his promises because we have grown to experience the faithfulness of God working in our lives in many, many situations. But sometimes we just need a friend like Jonathan to come along and remind us of the bigness and the faithfulness of God. What Jonathan does here is he comes to David and he gives David an affirmation of what God was doing in his life. David, you're going to be the king. He was affirming to David what God had promised. You are going to be the king. And sometimes we need people to come into our lives and affirm to us what God is doing. Because quite frankly, all of us experience times where we just look at ourselves and we feel like God isn't doing anything. We look at ourselves and we just feel like, you know, we haven't grown at all. And can I encourage you to be a people that seek the Lord to bring affirmation to your brothers and sisters in the Lord? I know that I have been incredibly blessed and my family has been incredibly blessed by some of you. Because quite frankly, I mean, there are times where we struggle and we feel like, man, you know, we're just not You know, God isn't using us. We're not making an impact. God's just not working, you know, in our life. And then it's during one of those type of of moments where we're just discouraged that that a card comes in the mail from one of you. That just says, hey, you're a blessing to us or something like that. Or the women's ministry. You guys, you know, you might think it's kind of trivial when you sit down and write those cards on a Monday night or a, a Friday night. But, but know this, they have been used many, many times. God is so good that in one of the most despairing low times, all of a sudden, one of those is in the mailbox. And God has used you to strengthen our hands in the Lord, to fortify us. To make us stronger. To reaffirm the calling and the commitment and the plan of God. And can I encourage you to seek? I know if I get blessed by that, how much more does God want to use us in the lives of our brothers and sisters to that end? 
And can I encourage you to be those who say, God, let me be one this week that is used in a brother or sister's life to strengthen their hands in the Lord. So Jonathan does that by reminding David of the promise of God, by affirming that God was working in his life. And third thing that Jonathan did to strengthen David's hands in the Lord was to remind him of the Lord's power in his life. He says, look, my father even knows this to be true. My father knows that you're going to be the king. He knows that I'm going to be next to you. He knows that God's hand is upon you. And there's nothing that my father can do to thwart God's power and plan in your life, David. And sometimes we need to be reminded of God's power in our lives. That if we are in God's hands, we cannot be in the hands of the enemy. Think of some other examples in the scriptures where... God has used someone to strengthen somebody's hands in the Lord. I think of of Peter living in condemnation after he did the very thing that he swore he wasn't going to do. He denied his Lord three times, swore that he didn't even know him. And after the resurrection, Jesus meets with Mary there in the garden and he says to her, go tell the disciples and Peter, make sure you tell Peter that I'm risen and I want to see him. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that Jesus went out of his way to have a special meeting during that time, a secret private meeting with Peter, where he no doubt reaffirmed to Peter that he was forgiven, that all was forgotten, that he still, that he had a plan for David's life. I think of Barnabas, who when Paul, before he was Paul the apostle, and he was the persecutor of the church, and he gets saved, and nobody wants anything to do with Paul. It's like they're afraid of him because he's been the one going after their families and throwing them in jail and having people killed. And I mean, it'd be like if, if Osama bin Laden got saved, you know, and, and all of a sudden, you know, everybody's just like, you know, hey, we have nothing to do with this guy. And God sends Barnabas down, and Barnabas is going to go on a new mission to go out and share the gospel. And the Lord shows him, I want you to take this guy Paul with you. And he goes down, and when Paul's just discouraged because he isn't doing anything and the plan of God for his life isn't happening, it's not coming together, Barnabas strengthens his hands in the Lord by calling him to come alongside of him. And then all of a sudden, God raises up Paul to be the leader and the evangelist. And he preaches the gospel throughout all of Asia and all of, of that whole area to the Gentiles. And God uses him. Why? Because Barnabas was one who allowed God to use him. Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. And he came and he brings brings this encouragement to Paul. And then later on, when John Mark was flaky and flaked out on Paul and Barnabas and and Paul, you know, is lacking grace. And he's like, you know, I don't want to have anything to do with that kid. I ain't taking him on any more journeys. And Barnabas goes and finds John Mark and strengthens his hands in the Lord. And they go out and serve together. And John Mark grows and becomes useful. And finally, Paul says later on, you know, hey, send John Mark to me because he's useful to me in the ministry. Why? Because Barnabas went and strengthened his hands in the Lord. God wants us to be those who strengthen each other's hands in the Lord. To stir up one another to love and good works. Why is this so important? Listen, the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. And those to whom much is required are going to be those who are under greater attack. Those of you who are working for someone else, especially if they are Christians, note this, they are under greater attack. Why is that? Well, Satan, whose goal is to kill, to rob and to destroy, he knows that if he can bring that person down, 
If he can cause that person to compromise, if he can cause that person to do something unethical that's going to get them, you know, maybe where they're going to lose their business or get them thrown in prison or something like that. If he can get that person to go down that road, he knows that many other people are going to be affected by that person's fall. And so he goes after those people to seek to bring them down. I remember when I was a youth pastor here and many times going into Pastor Brian's office and and he just was out of it. I mean, just out of it. And I would be like, you know, what's wrong? And I remember him saying to me a couple of times, he says, Rob, just wait till you're a senior pastor. You'll know how I feel. You know, I'm just under attack all the time. And I began thinking, I thought to myself, nah, you know, it's just the Epstein Barr thing. You know, he's just sick. You know, that's, that's why he feels this way. I remember being in high school and going to, you know, my, my youth pastor, Richard Semino. I'm a senior in high school. And I'm just, you know, God's showing me stuff in the word. And I'm going to his office. And I'm all excited. Oh, man, look what God's showing me. And, you know, and I'm sharing all this stuff. And, and, and I, I, I said to him, you know, what's God showing you? And he's just like looking at me with this blank stare. Like, God's not showing me anything right now, you know. And, and I remember just thinking, guy, what's wrong with him? I know now by experience, when I moved to Oregon and even more so when I've come back here, that the warfare is intense. The warfare is 10 times greater than I could ever imagine. I mean, I'm attacked in areas that I never even dreamed. Because you see, God knows, with Brian, with Richard, that if God can bring a person in that type of a position down, it's going to have an effect on a lot of other people. It could potentially damage a lot of other people. Think about the type of warfare Pastor Chuck must go through. It must be just incredibly intense. This man who has been raised up in such a high level Greater attack. Listen, wives, your husband is going to be under greater warfare than you. Why? Because more is required of him. More is required of him. The wife is under the covering of the husband. Eve only had her problems when she went out from under her covering and wandered into an area where she shouldn't have been in the first place. It was there that she was tempted and fell into sin. But Satan knows that the man is called to be the spiritual leader. And if he can give that, get that husband off course, he knows that he can derail, derail the whole family. He knows that if he can influence the husband, he can keep the whole family from growing. And so wives, do you see yourself as an instrument of God in your husband's life to strengthen his hands in the Lord? Not by nagging him, but by reminding him of the presence of God and the promise of God. Affirming that God is working in his life. Reminding him of the power of God. Do you see yourself in that role in your husband's life? You need to. And one last thing, notice the result of Jonathan's actions. He comes, strengthens David's hands in the Lord. Now notice the result of this. Turn to chapter 30. This is beautiful. Here in chapter 30, David and his men are in a, in a place where 
Their families have been taken captive while they were off on a military campaign. And David's men are angry at him for allowing the family to be, the fam- their families to be taken advantage of and taken away. And it says in verse 6, Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved and every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Here we see that David, this is the result of Jonathan's ministry in David's life in chapter 23. Jonathan comes, strengthens David's hands in the Lord. And when Jonathan isn't there at a later time when David is distressed, David strengthens himself, his own hands in the Lord. And that's the result. When we allow ourselves to be used in somebody else's life to strengthen their hands in the Lord, it's going to help them the next time to have a better opportunity to strengthen themselves. To be reminded, to remind themselves of the presence of God and the promise of God and the power of God. Are you a leader who has made it your habit to inquire of the Lord? It'll be a mark of your success if you do. Are you submitted? It'll be a mark that you are submitted to him, that you are dependent upon them. Is there a person in your life that God is calling you to be one who's used to strengthen their hands in the Lord? Can I encourage you? Let's be doers of the word this week. Not hearers only. Let's put this into practice. Let's allow the Lord to use us in this type of way in other people's lives. Let's make a commitment to be those who say, you know what, God, I want to be one that gets my direction from you. So I'm going to inquire of you, even in the little things, and he'll be faithful to answer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you are committed to meeting us in our time of need. We thank you, Lord, for your presence. We thank you for the promises that you've given to us. We thank you for the power that is available to us. Lord, I pray that even today that through this message you would have used it to strengthen the hands that are feeble and hanging down this morning. To know that One with God is a majority, that you are with us and for us. Lord, help us to be doers of your word and not just hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen.